Let's begin with prayer. If we're going to talk about prayer, maybe it'd be good to start with that. Lord, thank you that you are a communicating God, that you talk to us and we can hear your voice, feel your presence, and we talk to you and you hear us. You promise that you would listen to us. And so today we want to focus this message about praying and try to stir up in our own heart and in our own life the desire, the ability to pray and talk to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this series that we're in, we've called The Walk, and it's about some spiritual practices that are found in the Bible, and they're things that, that when you do them, they promote spiritual growth. <clears throat> Kurt started in a message called The New Covenant, and it was about baptism and about communion. Um, the second week, we looked at the Word of God, about studying the Bible, Last week, Kurt talked about Sabbath rest, and he reminded us that, that um, a lot of times Christians just add more and more stuff to their life. They get so busy, and, and, and they're tired and burdened, and he reminded us that that's not really what God wants us to do. This is the last message in the series. I'm going to talk about prayer, and I have to admit, this is a huge subject. Prayer is a giant subject. I was a little baffled about how to start. So I typed the word prayer into Amazon.com, and it brought up 136,000 books on prayer that you can get on Amazon, which I thought, well, this is going to be a pretty long series if we <laughs> deal with that. thought I could narrow it down, so I Googled it, and it brought up 136 million web pages on prayer, including 4 million videos and 6 million news articles. So prayer is a really big topic. It, it's, it's so big, we could talk about it every week and never accomplish it. So what I want to talk to you about today is not Amazon's perspective and not Google's perspective, not any of those things. I've been pastoring, leading churches for about 30 years, and in that time, I've noticed a couple things about prayer, and I'd like to share those with you. One of the things I've noticed about prayer, I've learned, maybe you didn't know this, but all of us are wired to pray. All of us. We're all wired, we've been designed by our Creator to pray. And actually, everybody in the world prays. Everybody does it. Buddhists pray, Hindus pray, Muslims pray, Jews pray, Christian people pray, secular people pray, even atheists pray. An atheist, what does he do? If you punch him in the gut really hard, what does he do? He says, oh God, he does. Everybody prays. It's it's in every culture. The issue is not if we pray. The issue is, who do we pray to? And, um, and by the way, <clears throat> when I pray, what do I say? In fact, when you pray, I think it's one of the things that distinguishes you as a human being. It's what makes you different from an animal. Animals don't pray, at least we don't think they do. Cows don't pray. Birds don't pray. You know, And the reason they don't is because they are not made in the image of God, but you are. You were made in God's image. We're all made in God's image. And what that means that is in your DNA, you were genetically encoded to talk with God. Ecclesiastes 3.11, Solomon wrote, God has planted eternity in the human heart, which means you've got an eternal soul. It means there's more to life than just the here and now. And because of that, you have a natural desire 
It's been planted into you to recognize there's more than just today. There's eternity. There must be more than this. And if there is more than this, what is there? There's got to be a God. God actually wired us in such a way that we look for Him. It's a universal trait. At some point in their life, everybody prays. The second thing I've learned is this. We're not very good at prayer. And actually, we all know it. We're not very good at prayer. In fact, everybody I've ever talked to feels inadequate about how to pray. I I don't really know what to pray for. I don't really know how to pray. I don't know how to say it. I don't feel very confident when I pray. And I I know actually many, many of you who are here today, if I said, I want you to come up here on the stage and lead us in prayer, you'd be intimidated by it. In fact, many people are intimidated enough about prayer that they don't even like to pray out loud in front of people at mealtime. And it's because they don't feel that they're very good at it. And um, in my opinion, the greatest Christian that ever lived, besides Jesus Christ himself, was the Apostle Paul. And here's what Paul said about himself in Romans 8, 26. We don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. Isn't that interesting? The guy who wrote half the New Testament says, we don't even know what we should look for or ask for. We don't know how to pray. So if Paul says that, then I think it's okay if you say that, that prayer is challenging. A third thing that I've learned and I've watched people pray and talk about prayer is this. You might write this down. Prayer is frustrating to many Christians. One of the frustrations we face, and you've probably heard people say this, I tried prayer, I prayed about it, and it didn't work. I had a need. I prayed about it. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and nothing happened. I didn't see any results. I was praying for something that was important. It was serious. And God didn't answer my prayer. And if we were honest, we'd probably all say there's a lot of prayers that go up, but it seems like there are not as many answers that come down. Why is that? What, what causes that? <clears throat> and uh, And maybe we need to address the issue right from the get-go. Does God promise to answer everyone's prayers? He promises to hear everyone's prayers, but does He promise to answer everyone's prayers? Well, actually, the Bible's very clear about this. He doesn't promise to answer everybody's prayers. God has laid out some conditions for prayer. Today, I want us to look at what those conditions are, because, friends, what I want is I want you not to be frustrated when you pray. So you ought to need, need to know what are the conditions answered prayer. And here's the first condition, if you want your prayers to be answered by God, you must have an honest relationship with God. John 15, 7 says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. It's a beautiful, beautiful promise, but it's a promise with a condition. You've heard me say this before, every promise has a premise. The promise is, I'll give you whatever you ask for in prayer. But the premise is in the prayer. What is the premise? If you remain in me. In other words, what he's saying is, if you have an honest relationship with me, if you remain in me, you can ask, I'll give you whatever you ask for. So how do you remain in Christ? But if you remain in me, look at the verse. I want you to circle this. And my words remain in you. In other words, God says, if we fill our mind with his word, that's what he's talking about, being in Christ, we will be remaining in him, abiding in him. So here's the first thing, you might jot this down. 
God requires that we listen to Him first before He listens to us. If I don't pay attention to what God says to me in His Word, then why should I expect Him to pay attention to me when I ask Him for something? If I ignore His Word, why should He pay attention to what I say to Him? So the starting point to see prayers answered is to have a relationship with God. So how do I do that? Well, one way is through the Word of God. And that's why being in the Word is so important. So maybe you're thinking, Rob, are you saying if I don't study my Bible, I won't get answers to prayer? Well, no, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that your prayer life will be greatly enhanced, will be much more effective if you study and understand the Scripture. The more you understand the Bible, the more you're going to know how to pray effectively. So let's ask some questions on how to evaluate if you have an honest relationship with God. In the Bible, the book of 1 John gives us some questions on how to evaluate ourselves on if we have an honest relationship with God. In 1 John 1.8, we're going to put that up on the screen. I'm going to set it up a little bit by starting at verse 5, but we'll get to 1 John 1.8. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Now, here we, here we go at verse 8. But if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His Word has no place in our lives. So, here's a question that we ask ourselves. Do I refuse to admit things that I've done wrong in the past? Because the Bible calls that unconfessed sin. Maybe it's an activity, maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a habit, but when I go my way, when I do my thing, what that does, it breaks my connection with God. And that's actually what sin is. Sin is a break in the connection that you have with God. And when you try to cover up things from God that you know are wrong, then there's a connection that's broken. There's a falseness. There's a fraud going on. And so when we try to live two different lives, you know, we live for God and we live for self. When we try to do that at the same time, it breaks the connection. So the first thing I have to ask is, Am I really being honest with God? Have I admitted what I've done is wrong? King David was wrestling with this. He said in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened, but God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. David said, If I had cherished sin, if I had tried to hide it in my heart, if I had tucked it away and kept it in my heart, God wouldn't have heard my prayers. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. Our sins, our wrongness, separates us from God. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who tries to conceal his sins cannot prosper, but he who admits them, confesses them, forsakes them, will have mercy. So that's the side of the equation I want to be on. I want to be on the side that has mercy, that has access to God. So what do I do? Well, let's go back at 1 John. If we claim to be without sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse 9, here's the premise. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So confession, it's not complicated. It's simply being honest with God. Confession is as simple as this. Saying, God, you were right and I was wrong. After this service, we're going to give you a chance to respond to the message. Maybe that's what some of you need to write on a little card and put it to the cross and say, God, you were right and I was wrong. It's as simple as that. You might even put, God, you were right about this, but God knows what he was right about and you know what you were wrong about. All you've got to do to confess is say, God, you were right and I was wrong. That judgmental attitude, that lie I believed, that impatience that I was caught up with, Please forgive me. Number two, am I currently in the present right now ignoring any of God's principles? Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, if you refuse to obey what you have been taught, your prayers will not be heard. Ouch. In other words, when God tells me to do something and when I know what I'm supposed to do and when I'm holding on to something that God wants me to let go of and I continue to hold on to it, it breaks that connection with God. 1 John 3.21, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask, but because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Do you know how you get your heart to stop condemning you? You start agreeing with God. When you've got a guilty conscience and your heart's condemning you, The way that you cleanse a guilty conscience, you start agreeing with God. You get a new confidence. You get a new boldness. You get a new access because when we obey His command, it pleases Him. I know we get into a discussion of saying, but Rob, how can I keep all of God's commands? Nobody's perfect. How am I ever going to get any answers if I have to be perfect? Okay, write this down. God doesn't demand perfection He simply demands obedience. How many of you know that obedience is an attitude? Obedience is the attitude, I want to do what's right. God doesn't expect perfection, but He does expect you to obey. Let me give you an example. When my kids were young, when they were growing up, we'd tell them, go clean your room. 30 minutes later, we'd go check in, and we find that the room was only half picked up. It wasn't immaculate, it wasn't great, but they were just kids and they did the best that they could do. So did we get upset about it? No, not really, because they're just kids. And as a parent, we didn't expect it to be perfect. But if I told them, go clean up your room, and they said, no, we're not going to do it, and you can't make me, then I was really upset. I didn't expect perfection, but I do expect obedience. I do expect an attitude I want to do what's right. And God doesn't expect perfection out of you, but He does expect obedience. So ask God, God, am I hiding anything in our relationship? Am I doing something that I shouldn't be doing? Am I doing what I know you don't want me to do? Am I not doing what I know you do want me to do? Am I currently ignoring any of God's principles? Number three, do I really want God's will for my life? 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us, whatever we ask. We know that 
we have what, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. When we ask according to God's will, we have confidence in prayer that he's going to answer. I think many Christians actually make a big mistake in praying because they constantly, when they pray, they say, God, if, it, if it's your will, God, if it's your will, I ask for this. And they ask it over every little item. But the issue is not, God, what is your will? The issue is really, am I in God's will? Is my life in harmony with God? So when you go to buy a new car, God, is it your will that I buy a brown Chevy or a gold Mercedes? At the restaurant, God, is it your will that I order the steak or the pork chops? Now, you don't have to ask God's will on every little thing like that. What you do is get your life in God's will, and then you say, Lord, to the best of my knowledge, I want to do what's right. I want to live in your will. So let me ask you, do, do you really want to live in God's will for your life? Because here's a simple way to test it. Because the only way we can really know the will of God is through the Word of God. Write that down. God's Word tells you God's will. That's a bonus point. I don't think that's on your note sheet today. God's Word tells you God's will. So if you want to know God's will and you're not studying the Bible, guess what? You're probably not going to know it. Number four, you must have a forgiving attitude toward other people. I told you about the promise and the premise. Well, Mark eleven twenty four. here's the promise. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received, and it will be yours. Amen. I want that. Isn't that great? But there's a premise. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Oh, ouch. That is a harder thing, isn't it? More than any other characteristic in the Bible, except maybe faith, the number one thing related to prayer is forgiveness. Over and over and over again, the Bible talks about forgiveness. Jesus talks about forgiveness in prayer. Why? Because nothing will kill your prayers faster than resentment. When you hold on to a grudge, when you allow bitterness to grow in your life, it just kills your prayers. Maybe the reason you've been praying and praying and praying and not getting any answers is maybe you've got a grudge against someone that you're holding on to. Maybe this is something that you need to work through. Maybe you've got unforgiveness. Maybe you've got resentment. In Matthew 5, when Jesus gives his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says in that sermon that when you go to church and you're ready to give an offering and you remember that somebody's got something against you or you've got something against them, what, what do you need to do? You need to stop, leave your gift right there at the church, go out and find that person and reconcile with them. Why? Well, because one of the principles in the Bible is you can't love God and hate your brother. One of the primary reasons why people never see answers in prayer is because they've allowed bitterness to spring up in their life. Hebrews 12, verse 15, watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up among you, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Hurting many. Not, it doesn't just hurt you. Bitterness hurts many other people. <clears throat> bitterness is like a poison. It will just eat you alive. You can't have unforgiveness in your heart and Find your prayers being answered. You remember what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer? Father, forgive us our debts 
Help me with this. As we forgive others, our debtors. <clears throat> Do you really mean that when you pray it? God, I want you to forgive me as much as I forgive everybody else. Yikes. See, God doesn't want resentment and bitterness in our life. In 1 Peter 3, Peter's talking about marriage. Anyone, um, anyone knows that one of the easiest places to build up resentment and bitterness and hurt is in families. Family members hurt each other's feelings all the time. Husbands hurt wives, wives hurt husbands, parents hurt their children. So bitterness and resentment are common experiences in family relationships. So Peter's given everybody the lowdown. First, he starts with the women. Probably that's because they need the most work. I don't know. But <laughs> <clears throat> so in verses 1 through 6, Peter's given the lowdown. But in verse 7, he starts talking to the men. And he says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, just like I've been talking to you wives, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. See, the Bible teaches disharmony at home will block answers to your prayers. That's why some people don't have their prayers being answered. The Scripture says that how you treat your spouse is going to influence your prayer life. It's pretty strong, isn't it? In the Bible, when, when it gives us a list of qualifications for church leaders, elders, deacons, church leaders to serve, one of the qualifications is that they have a happy, peaceful home life. Why? Because if there's tension at home, the prayers of the church leaders are going to be totally ineffective. That's right out of the Bible. How do you have answered prayer? Honest relationship to God? Am I ignoring God's principles? Do I really want God's will in my life? <clears throat> do I have a forgiving attitude towards other people? Number five, you must be willing to share the results. This is the principle. What you sow, you reap. God given, it will be given to you. It's the principle of generosity. The more you give out, the more God gives you. Write this down. If you expect God to bless your life, you must be willing to bless the lives of other people. It's all through the Bible. Proverbs 21, 13, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. What God says, you don't pay attention to the needs of other people. Why should I pay attention to your needs? God wants us to be like Him. So it's a prerequisite for God enabled to bless our lives. We have to be willing to bless other people's lives. It's actually, it's foundational in our relationship to God. It goes all the way back to God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. Now listen to this and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The New Testament tells us that the promises to Abraham have come right on down through the ages to us. The reason God wants to bless you is so that you'll be the fattest, happiest person on earth. No, not at all. The reason God wants to bless you is so that you'll be a conduit of blessing to other people. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous man will prosper, he who freshes, refreshes others will himself be refreshed. See, if, if we ignore the needs of other people, <clears throat> why, why would we expect God to bail us out? One of the ways that we prove that we have love 
is our willingness to be generous to other people. God blesses us so that we may bless others. Hey, I don't, this isn't in my notes. Let me just tell you something. Kurt was talking today about building this playground. What benefit is that going to be for us? My guess is there's hardly anybody in this room that's going to go out and play on the playground. You're not going to. You're doing it for somebody else. It's, it's about blessing other people. This is the principle of stewardship. You bless other people. God blesses you. We're a channel. Uh, friends, I wouldn't presume to ask God to bless me or my business if I wasn't willing to give back at least a portion of it, of what he's blessed me for. So you're praying. You say, God, I'm sick. I need better health. Okay. What are you going to do with a healthy body once God answers that prayer? You're going to spend all your effort and energy on yourself? Or are you going to be willing to help other people? One of the conditions for answered prayer is being willing to help people that are less fortunate than you are. James 4.3, this is a very, very familiar verse. You have not because you ask not. But the verse also gives us another reason why our prayers are hindered. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. He's saying motive for prayer is pretty important. When you pray, motive is, it motive, what, why you pray is as important as what you pray for. Is it possible to pray for the right thing with the wrong motive? Sure it is. It's possible to pray for the right thing with the wrong motive. There's nothing wrong with praying for your personal needs. I mean, <clears throat> when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, one of the things he taught them was, give us this day our daily bread. But if you, want, if you want God to bless you, you've got to pray bigger than that. You've got to be willing to be a channel, a blessing to other people. Number six, you must believe that God will answer. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. <clears throat> he says, if you need any wisdom, go ahead and ask God. He'll give it to you. You don't have to convince God. You don't have to convince God. He's not going to complain that he's, there they are asking for wisdom again. But he does say this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So when you ask God, you've got to believe he's going to answer. You must expect God to answer. <clears throat> There's only one kind of prayer that God answers. You know what it is? The prayer of faith. You've got to believe. <clears throat> Mark 9, 29. According to your faith, it will be done unto you. What are you expecting God to do for your life? What were you expecting God to do today when you came to church? Were you just coming to a nice meeting? Were you expecting to meet with God? Hebrews 11:6 without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can't please God if you don't have faith. It's the number one prerequisite in life. Have faith. What is faith? Well, faith is believing that God can do it. But more than that, not only God can do it, that God will do it. Not just God can, but God will. We see so little faith in our lives, and we expect so little much. The Bible says, <clears throat> according to your faith, not according to your ability, 
not according to your education, not according to how good a person you are, according to your faith it will be done to you. The fact is, if you've met the conditions of Scripture, if you have an honest relationship with God, and as far as I know, no unforgiveness towards anybody else, and if you're willing to share the results and you're asking in faith expecting, I think you've got every right to expect God to answer your prayer. If God doesn't answer, actually then it's his problem, not your problem. If I took a seed and planted it in the ground, and it sprouts and it grows up in a few months, and I get a tomato from the plant, is that a miracle? Well, yeah, kind of. It's a miracle of creation, but it's a miracle of creation that I cooperated with. When I pray, believing and following the conditions that the Scripture lays out, if God answers, is it a miracle? Well, yeah, but it's simply lining up with the universal laws of the universe that God put in place. So the principles are this, an honest relationship with God. Am I ignoring any of his laws or principles? Do I really want God's will for my life? Am I, do I have a forgiving attitude towards others? Am I willing to share the results? And am I believing in faith? God will answer. Here, last one, number seven. <clears throat> you must pray in Jesus' name. John 13, verse 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John 16, 24 says basically the same thing. You've not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So what's so special about Jesus' name? Honestly, for a long time, I I don't think I really had any idea. I hear everybody end their prayers in Jesus' name, amen. It was kind of like a CB cutoff, you know, Uh, 10-4 good buddy in Jesus' name, amen. Some people think in Jesus' name is kind of a mystical password. It's like the secret word that gets you in. Here are all my requests, God, by the way, code word in Jesus' name. What in the world does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It means that I don't just ask on my own. When I come, I ask on behalf of the merit that Jesus Christ has poured out. I come and say, Father, I'm coming to you because of what Jesus did. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Father, I'm coming believing in what Jesus did. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back. Friends, Jesus is the bridge between God and man. God came in the form of a man. The Bible says there's one, one mediator, there's one bridge, and Jesus said it was him, I am the way, no one comes to the Father. So when, when I come to God and pray in Jesus' name, what I'm saying is, God, I, I realize you, you probably don't have any good reason to do this for me, but I'm coming because Jesus said I could. Jesus authorized me to come. So do you need to end every prayer in Jesus' name? No, I don't, I don't think it's necessary, but it's not a bad idea. There's nothing wrong with it. Hey, by the way, you don't have to wait to the end of the prayer to say in Jesus' name. You could start the prayer that way too. Heavenly Father, I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. You put it on the beginning, put it on the end, put it in the middle. But it's a good reminder that we pray in Jesus' name. Okay, I've given you a list of seven. 
Now we're going to respond. We're going to sing a couple of songs. <clears throat> and I wonder if there's anything today that you thought, that's a condition maybe that's unmet in my life. Are, are you holding on to a grudge? Are you, are you nursing a resentment? Has a hurt come into your life that, that has paralyzed you and, and it's built up and, and you need to deal with that today? Maybe God's been calling you to do something, but you just haven't got around to doing it yet. Maybe he, maybe he said, hey, you need to get baptized. Or maybe he said, you, you need to start giving or you need to be in a small group. Or maybe God's told you something, you know what it is. You just haven't got around to it. Or maybe there's something in your life that you know is wrong, but you just, it's so embarrassing, so painful, you just haven't admitted it. All you got to do, I told you, just tell God, God, you're right. I was wrong. Maybe you've been praying, but you never really expected God to answer. Maybe you think, he probably answered for that person, but not, not for me. Well, if you're going to get answered prayer, you've got to believe God not only can, but he will. Or maybe you've been holding out on the blessing. Maybe every time God blesses you, you've just kept it all for yourself. You've got to be willing to share. Or maybe you haven't been abiding by him. Maybe you haven't been praying. You haven't been reading your Bible. You haven't been involved in a Bible study or a small group. Maybe the reason you haven't been praying in Jesus' name is you never really invited him to be your Lord, to be your Savior. Maybe the most important question you can end the meeting with today is, do I really have an honest relationship with God? I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm, I'm talking about knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior.